Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Random Ignatia. It's your host. Thank you so kind of being a part of the show. We're going to have a great, 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 great show for you today. Actually, two videos. One of them is pretty long. As you know, we are we are inching. We want to get Build Back Better out. We want to also get better medical care for everybody. And in that light, I am going to play the today. Uh, Biden, I don't know why he does it at the time that he does it. He doesn't do it in the prime time as I think he should. But what we're going to do, folks, is, and I've got to fix my shirt here. What's going on? What's, I don't even have the directionality of my shirt correct. Sorry about that, folks. Anyhow, here's the deal. What we have to do is start promoting these things that are going to make a difference for people and start making sure that people understand what's going on. So anyhow, let's go ahead and start talking to my dear brothers and my dear sisters. Of course, we have El Señor Rotnin already with the... It, it take good news when I find it. The main observation in the report was that the majority of patients were not oxygen dependent, as was common in previous waves, the report stated, and that most of the patients in the COVID words were incidental COVID admissions, having had another medical or surgical reason for admission to the hospital. These findings follow anecdotal reports from doctors in South Africa that, uh, that, 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 that the Omicron variant could cause milder symptoms. The South African doctor who first spotted the virus said he has seen extremely mild symptoms among their own patients. The virus may be killing itself, and you know, virus have a way of mutating themselves into oblivion. So that may be something happening, but of course, it could mutate itself into. Well, if it mutates itself into oblivion, it will die away because it would mean that our natural immune system would do fine. But let's hope that's where we're heading to. I'm hopeful, second one from Rudnin. I'm hopeful that this new variant has a significantly lower death rate than previous COVID strains. This is as of yesterday. World Health Organization says no deaths reported from Omicron yet. As COVID variant spreads, U.S. and Australia become latest countries to confirm, confirm locally transmitted cases. Next one from Miguel. World Health Organization says malaria kills 180,000 people more annually than previously thought. United Nations say world must support urgent rollout of new vaccine as it reveals new figures for malaria deaths as, it have, as if half a million deaths per year every year for however long going back wasn't enough. Maladia remains top five among humanity's biggest killers. Meantime, we'll see if anti-vaxxers fight this one as well. Of course they'll fight it, or if it's one that they'll see as other people's problems. From the article, new figures released by the World Health Organization on Monday are underlying the scale of the problem with a new, more precise method of counting, estimating the that 627,000 people died of malaria last year, 180,000 more than, than the total would have been according to the old methodology. The vast majority of all malaria deaths, 96% of them, well, you know where we go from there. Last one, Congressman shares, uh, shares photo celebrating guns. I saw the photo, I, uh, you know, um, I, I got, actually, you know who sent it to me? Uh, economist uh, Dr. Wifford, Richard Wolf. He sent, he sent it with a caption that said, this is how we know we are in decline. I got that over the weekend. I'm like, oh, Professor, Professor, muchísimas gracias. You're absolutely right about that. We'll talk a little bit about that in a little bit. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Michael Rudnan says, Walter Shaw put it best when he replied, oh, look, it's Yal Qaeda. It's Yal Qaeda, you get it? Not our Al-Qaeda, but Yal's Al-Qaeda. Huh. That's funny. Good one. Good catch. 
In case anyone needs the explanation, a common trope award among extremists is proudly displaying guns in group photos. A shame. Uh, ABQ says he's watching on Twitch, but I also see him on, 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 on YouTube. Peggy Lopez, welcome aboard. Carl Cox says, Egberto, did you see the email I sent you with comment? I emailed the New York Times printed on the e-paper. Well, my dear brother Carl Cox, because you missed one of our episodes, you didn't understand, my dear brother. You did not see, my dear brother, that you were the star of that particular program. We highlighted, and I, I called out, and I said, I hope he's here with us today, but of course he wasn't. I may still have that in our domain, Carl. You know, I like to highlight the wonderful, great things that you guys do out there outside of the PDR Posse, outside of our domains, because that is what we want to do. We want to empower, we want to encourage others to do things. So, Carl Cox, you are in luck, sir. Everybody, for those who didn't know, Brother Carl Cox, one of our PDR Posse's, went out there to the New York Times, and he sent a letter to the editor. And anybody who has tried to send something to the New York Times know that it's hell to get it printed because of all the rigmaroles that it has to go through. And Carl Cox broke, broke in. They took his comment, and there is Carl Cox's comment on the screen. So, Carl Cox, I don't ever forget my peeps, man. I don't ever forget my peeps. There you go on the screen, sir. All right, you're off the screen now. Okay, let's continue. Um, let's continue. Uh, Peggy Lopez says, I thought I was in full exposure getting dressed after a medical procedure this morning, and then I come here and see you getting dressed in front of the world. I feel better. Well, I'm not even completely dressed yet. You notice the, 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 the shirt under the shirt? You see, this morning, I had to take my daughter to, um, to uh, rehab, and I said I'm, I'm going to put my coat, because you guys voted for me to start using a coat and not just a shirt, I'm going to put the coat over this thing. Then look, lo and behold, I come and I say, oh, I'm crooked. Well, you guys are going to see me crooked until after the next video, okay? That's the name of the game. Let's continue. Para ver, para ver. Yvette Avery Herod, my dear union specialist, union activist, the real person out there taking care of business. All right. Uh, <laughs> anyhow, let's see what else we got here. Uh, Peggy, good one, LOL, from Carol. Welcome, Carol. Paul Fleming, welcome aboard. Carol, look great. Don't tell me my twisted shirt looked great, Carol. I'm going to go fix it as soon as I play the Biden tape, okay? AVQ, Egberto, I'm sure you'll have a moment to fix your shirt during the video. Take a moment. All good. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Egberto. I missed Friday's podcast. How dare you miss the podcast, Carl Cox? You know I love you guys. Anyway, let's listen to Biden. I want you guys to listen in detail. This is important. And I'll be back with a fixed shirt. Ready to go, folks? Listen to Biden. Mr. President, thank you so much for having me here today. I'm so honored to be here to talk about an issue that is deeply personal to me, addressing the high cost of insulin and to tell my story. Imagine every day having to ask questions like, should I pay my rent, or should I risk death by foregoing my medication? Should I buy groceries or my insulin and other necessary supplies related to diabetes? I had to make this choice relentlessly without relief every day. In 2012, at the age of 21, 
I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Due to unforeseen circumstances, there came a time where I could no longer afford my insulin. I was forced to ration my supply of drug that is as vital to me as water. I felt myself growing weaker and weaker each day. I could actually feel myself slowly dying. One day I was rushed to the hospital where they told me I was in diabetic ketoacidosis, a life-threatening and potentially deadly complication of my illness. I slipped into a diabetic coma and I could have died. This was a terrifying incident. I was ashamed that I couldn't afford my life-saving medication. I didn't want to ask for help. I shouldn't have to ask for help. Insulin and healthcare should be affordable. Ever since my diagnosis, the cost of my diabetic medicine has dictated everything from what kind of job I can take, whether I can set aside some money for, for savings. Thankfully, I am now able to afford my insulin through my employer benefits. I'm fortunate, but I know there are thousands of people facing this struggle. The reality is that one in four patients with diabetes has had to ration insulin due to high drug pricing. President Biden gets it. He has a plan to not only save me and millions of people like me money, but also to give us the certainty, the ability to control our health without our health controlling us. For me, President Biden's Build Back Better Act would mean peace of mind. I know how fast our circumstances in life can change in addition to my illness. I am plagued with the fear that I may not be able to afford my insulin again. I want to see a future where young people like me don't have our lives revolve around our prescription drugs and we don't have to make career and life choices around insurance benefits. That's why I'm so grateful for President Biden's leadership on tackling the high costs of prescription drugs, particularly insulin. And now it's my honor to introduce my new friend, President Joe Biden. Aisha, thank you very much. Your story is important and uh, for everyone to hear. And thank God you're with us today. Today, I'd like to talk about how we're going to help millions of Americans protect and preserve their health and live with the dignity of knowing that they can care for themselves and their loved ones, all by making the cost of prescription drugs much more reasonable. At the outset, I want to be clear. We acknowledge the groundbreaking, life-saving work that many pharmaceutical companies are doing. Look no further than the vaccines and the treatments they're manufacturing and delivering that are helping fight this pandemic. Our miraculous therapies have, uh, in some cases, turned diseases that were once considered death sentences into treatable conditions. But we can make a distinction between developing those breakthroughs and jacking up prices on a range of medicines which have been on the market for years without making a substantial and a substantive change in the, medica- in the medication itself, the medicine itself. Here in America, it will not surprise you to know that we pay the highest prescription drug prices of any developed nation in the world. Let me say that again. We pay the highest, highest prescription drug prices of any developed nation in the world. That may surprise you, 
It may surprise you is we pay about two to three times what other countries pay for the same drug. An example, one anti-cancer drug cost $14,000 in the United States. That same exact drug by the same manufacturer cost $6,000 in France. Today, one in four Americans who take prescription drugs struggle to afford them. <clears throat> nearly 30%, nearly 30% of these, these patients have skipped doses of essential drugs that they have to take. Others have simply not fulfilled the, fulfilled the prescription tried to use over-the-counter drug and cut pills in half or because they can't afford the cost of the prescription. You know, even if you think this doesn't affect you, it does. Everyone has less money in their pockets because high drug costs make health insurance more expensive for everyone. There aren't a lot of things that almost every American agree can agree on. But I think it's safe to say that all of us, all of us, whatever our background, our age, where we live, we can agree the prescription drugs are outrageously expensive in this country. It doesn't need to be that way. Under my Build Back Better bill, there will be that which is passed the House of Representatives, it won't be the same way. One of the most egregious examples of what's happening with drug prices regarding the treatment of diabetes and the cost of insulin, a drug that people with type 1 diabetes need to take throughout their lives to control their diabetes and stay alive. It's almost exactly 100 years ago that a 14-year-old boy in Canada, dying of diabetes, became the first person to receive an injection of insulin. Today, one bottle of this life-saving liquid costs less than $10 to manufacture. But to create, but in certain types of insulin, prices increased by 15% or more each year for the past decade. Depending on the nature of someone's type 1 diabetes, the average sticker price for a month's supply of insulin, is about $375. But some people, it can be as high as $1,000 a month because they need to take more. I just met with two lovely women we see in front of me today here. And uh, Sarah Skipper, uh, who was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at age 5. She has a sister, Shelby, who was diagnosed at age 8. She told me that affording insulin has been the challenge of her and her family's entire life. Sometimes she and her sister rationed doses. In 2018, Sarah was no longer covered by her parents' policy. Although she was working two jobs, she hadn't met the, her health care plan's deductible when insulin was about $1,000 a month supply for her. So she started sharing her sister's insulin from the same vial. At one point, because Shelby thought Sarah had taken her dose, that Shelby cut a dose in half because the bottle was sitting there and it looked like it was half empty. Is that correct? And at that time, she thought, well, I guess what? I guess I ha there's, she hadn't taken it yet. Shelby had been hospitalized as a consequence for four days, working two jobs, sharing insulin from the same vial in America. Shame on us as a nation. We can't do better than this. Sarah's about to start a new job and doesn't yet know what the insulin will cost. Sarah said, I wish I could, it's a quote, I wish I could make a decision that didn't include diabetes. Should, she shouldn't have to ask such a question. You know, I think about what just happened with Aisha, who's diagnosed with diabetes three days before her 21st birthday. Having to choose between rent, 
and groceries and medication. Quote, relentlessly, without relief every day, was your quote to me. Having a ration of supply and feeling herself, as she says, slowly dying, she ended up in a coma. Think about that. The difference between nearly dying and thriving is the cost of one drug. Sarah and Aisha are far, far from being alone. It's estimated that 34 million Americans, 10% of the population, have diabetes, including more than 1.5 million who have type 1 diabetes, requiring daily doses of incidence in varying quantities. Remember all of this stress, hardship, suffering, and sacrifice is due to a drug that costs just a few bucks to make. One study found that Americans pay 10 times as much as other countries for insulin. These price increases are about companies looking to maximize profits and nobody standing up for the patients. Nobody with the power to do something about it. It's enough. Enough. Nobody has held the manufacturers accountable until now. My Build Back Better bill takes three key steps to lower the cost for families dealing with diabetes. First, we're going to cap cost sharing of for insulin at $35 per month. That means you can't get charged more than 35 bucks at a pharmacy counter for your insulin. That's across the board. Whether you get health insurance through your private policy, the Affordable Care Act marketplace, or through Medicaid, nobody is going to pay more than $35 for each month for insulin. Second, for people who don't have health insurance, we're helping you get insurance. That way, people with diabetes can get protected with that $35 copay cap. People who are uninsured today can visit healthcare.gov to check out the options. In many cases, people can get a full health care plan, including coverage for insulin, and other prescription drugs, doctor visits, and hospitalizations for less than $10 a month if you sign up for the plan. If you live in a state that has refused to expand Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act, my Build Back Better bill is going to fix that as well. These changes are going to ensure access to affordable coverage for millions more Americans and help more people with diabetes get coverage they desperately need. Third, we're going to end the days when drug companies could increase their prices with no oversight and no accountability. Going forward, drug companies that increase their prices faster than inflation are going to face a steep excise tax. In other words, if you're saying to drug, we're saying to drug companies, if you're finally doing it because, uh, because to be accountable when your prices to the American people go up, you're going to be accountable. This is important, not only from a health standpoint, from the standpoint of personal dignity. Imagine if you're a parent of one of the roughly 200,000 young people in this country that suffer from type 1 diabetes. Imagine if you can't afford their insulin. It's not only a risk to your child's life. It deprives you of your dignity. Just imagine, as a parent, having a child with type 1 diabetes and not a damn thing you can do about making sure they have it. If soul what you can soul, you don't have the money to get it done. Well, my plan, my plan addresses an additional fear patients face, which is that when their children are starting their careers, 
and are no longer eligible in their parents' health care plan, they'll be able to get insulin that they need. Outrageous costs affecting everyone across the board, spending every kind of condition disease. I remember what it was like when my mom, for my mom, when she got older and moved in with us. Her prescription drugs were thousands of dollars on a monthly basis. Fortunately, I had three other siblings, and we collectively had the means to chip in so she didn't have to exhaust all of her savings and sell whatever she had left to make sure she could get her drug costs covered. So I'm committed. I'm committed to using every tool I have to lower prescription drug costs for Americans, consistent with the drug companies getting a fair return on their investment. To really solve this problem, we need the Senate to follow the House of Representatives' lead and pass my Build Back Better bill. In addition to the specific progress that the Build Back Better bill is going to make for families facing diabetes, it will also take the additional step of lowering drug costs for people on Medicare. Right now, the only thing Medicare are, is not allowed to negotiate, they can negotiate the cost of doctor's visits, hospitalization, all the rest. But the one thing they can't, as a matter of law, they are not allowed to negotiate the price for prescription drugs. For everything else, doctor's visits, crutches, they can negotiate. My plan gets rid of that prohibition. What I'm proposing is that we negotiate a fair price, one that reflects the cost of research and development and need for significant progress, Pro- excuse me, need for a significant profit. But that is still affordable to consumers. Right now, drug companies will set the price at whatever market will bear. My plan also caps the amount that seniors on Medicare have to spend on prescription drugs each year to no more than $2,000 per year, with Medicaid and drug companies picking up the rest of the cost. And again, our plan says that any drug company can only raise prices based on the rate of inflation and caps insulin cost sharing at $35 a month. So let me close with this. I've long said health care should be a right, not a privilege in this country. And the women I've met with today, and millions like them, are the reason why. People for whom the cost of one drug is the difference between hope and fear, life and death, dignity and dependence. We're closer than ever to passing my Build Back Better bill and providing people suffering from diabetes and so many other diseases the medicines they need and the dignity they deserve to be able to afford them. This is not a partisan issue. Diabetes, Alzheimer's, cancer, so many other diseases, they don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican. It's, it's, not whether, it's not about whether or not your loved ones can afford a prescription drug you need. So we need Congress to finish the job, to come together and make a difference in people's lives. And as uh, my grandpa used to say, with the grace of God and the goodwill of the neighbors, we're going to get this done. So you don't have to worry every single day about what you can be able to do. God bless you all and God protect our troops. Thank you so much. Now hear this. Um, It is shameful, but I tell you what, before I go ahead and make any major commentary on what we just heard, let me get back to what you guys are posting. Um, Let's see. Oh, wow. You posted quite a bit. You posted quite a bit. You post. It looks like I'm going to have to go through this rather quickly. So let's go ahead. Uh, Let's see. Squido, welcome aboard. Carl Cox, welcome aboard. Uh, Michael Renner says, we can't get single-payer Medicare for all soon enough. There are so many incidents like this where our fellow Americans have been choosing between food, rent, medicine, not having enough to get by. Exactly. We have to elect the right people 
to ensure that we can get that. Carol says, hello, Squido. Maywood says, hello, everyone. Michael Rudnan says, another example, Medicare won't let 68-year-old cancer patient enroll in Part B. I saw that story today as well. It's a shameful story, and it, it's worse. People do not get Medicare Advantage. If you get Medicare Advantage and you, dis, and you get a particular, any disease, that your that that your the plan the Medicare Advantage plan that you choose if there's a doctor that you don't want that doesn't take care of you correctly in there you cannot get your supplemental Part B at all because they will either charge you an arm and a leg or they won't charge they they won't take you at all remember the way it's designed if you get original Medicare you can get plan Part B or I, I think it's Part B that you call it where you get the supplemental uh, to Medicare to pay for the 20% Medicare doesn't pay for but if you go for a Medicaid Advantage that supposedly pays everything and then you get sick and they don't cover it and you have to go back to Medicare, you won't get the supplemental. They'll likely deny the supplemental or charge you what you cannot afford for the supplemental. Do not get Medicare Advantage at all. Pay the extra amount of money it's going to cost you no matter what. It's, if, if, you, if you're in it right now and still healthy, get the hell out of it. Get real Medicare and go buy your plan, the, 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 the uh, addendum to it. If you doubt me, I, I, I want to do, a, I'm supposed to be doing a piece with, with uh, Tom Hartman who wrote a book on this. So we'll talk about that some other time. Uh, let's see, Egberto, mind putting this mirror image on? Let's see what you got there, uh, Rudnin. See if I can get it on real quickly, get it on real quickly. All right, let, I look like I got to blow that up to get people to see that. Why are you doing this to me? Okay, let's go ahead and put it on the screen. Rudin would like you guys to see this. There you go. I'm mirroring it on the screen. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Uh, para ver, para ver, para ver. All right, Rudin, I think that's long enough for people to get it because I got to get to the other commentary on the screen and I can't do both at the same time. Okay, here we go. Uh, para ver, para ver, para ver, Egberto. Let's see. Uh, for one meds cost... Carol uh, says, one, meds cost me $2,500 per month, and SSD only pays $1,400. This is shameful. That is what's called, whatever the market can bear, is theft. It's legalized theft. Uh, let's see what else we got here. This guy, Lion Dog Pony Show. Ready Temp says that there are lies here. Please go ahead and let me know specifically what did he say that's a lie so that we can explore it. Don't just say, he's lying, or whatever. Give me what you say that's a lie, and we can go ahead and analyze it based on facts whether it is a lie or not. Paul Fleming says, in January of each year, the first 30 days of my medication cost $13,000, then $6,000, then $2,200. The rest of the year, for 16 years, I've had to manage this. That is legalized theft, okay? Uh, especially given that we are the ones who likely paid for those drugs. Peggy Lopez says, I watch this and see it as democratic theater because the drug corporations pay the Democrats maybe less than Republicans to do... Oh, may I mean, look, I, I, I hope you saw the piece that I did on that because I said, remember, uh, we had a deficient Obamacare not because a Demo of the Republicans, we had a deficient Obamacare because of Democrats. They didn't allow the Medicaid, ex or they didn't allow the, the public option, they didn't allow Medicare for all, they didn't allow, those are not the faults of Republicans. We had enough power to get the, the type of policies that our people want, we just didn't provide them. When I say our people, I'm not talking about just Democrats, I'm talking about Democrats and Republicans alike. Check the polls. Most of the problem, right now the problem with Build Back Better aren't, isn't Republican. Republicans are doing their job. They're obstructing. That's what they do. But you know who else is obstructing? Two Democrats that we know of. I know that I said that we know of. Cinema and Mansion. And you know why? Because they're paid hacks of the plutocracy. 
continuing. Let's see what else we got here. Daniel Ledo says, Democrats are the undisputed champs of making up emotional stories but buttress their policy proposals. But I suspect y'all not only believe these stories, not only believe them, but you prefer it. Um, well, you know what? I don't have to look at that woman's story who had diabetes. I can look at my own wife's story with lupus and the tribulations that we had to go through with an evil medical system. So this isn't made-up stories. I've lived it. I've worked for myself my entire adult life except for my first five years out of college. And I can tell you insurance and navigating healthcare, given that I had a wife with, 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 um, a wife with lupus, a daughter with some issues when she was younger, etc., etc. So folks, I understand the insurance concept. And one of the reasons I have always been an advocate for Medicare for All is I understand that, first of all, the investment that goes into healthcare is really public. We, the people, pay for the research, we the people take most of the risk and corporations take little risk and they tell you that they do. If you doubt me, go look at their paper. It's public information. They spend more on marketing than they spend on research and development. And when they need to get some a new product, they buy it from a university. Some couple of people at the university gets rich and they get humongously richer. These are not questions. These are statements of fact that every one of you can validate the words that's emanating from my mouth right now. You don't have to take what I'm saying at face value, my right-wing brothers and sisters that are listening to me right now. Go check the, the, the reports from, from Pfizer and all these guys. A lot of their product comes from universities and research that were developed by the NIH, National Health Institute, National Institute of Health. Please, these are not questions. These are statements of facts, okay? We really do pay way more for insulin and other drugs that cost dollars to make. Egberto, one more of the screen. Um, let's see. Um, let, let me see if I can put that one up. Oh, that, that's a, actually, that's a very good, good, good thing for us to put on the screen. Michael Rudnan has a good piece that I, with, with these numbers, very important numbers. And the thing about it is, for those who defend a system like this, what's wrong with you? We, and by the way, it's the same companies that develop the, the insulin and that we pay $700 for what they pay. Germany pays 73, Canada 70, Italy 61, Greece 51, Taiwan 40, Norway, Scotland 0, Finland 5, Australia 28, Mexico 35, Taiwan 40. Come on, folks. We are the bastions of getting ripped off by people who are, you know, basically evil. Now, I want to, I want to correct something that many people like to say. Uh, the drug company has many Americans snowed. Well, here's what they say, and in fact, their new advertising says the same. They say, the reason we have these high drug prices is so that we can have research and development. That's what we want. If you drop these prices, we can't do research and development. It's hogwash. The people who make money on these drug prices are not the researchers and developers. It is the finance guys that have nothing to do. They don't care about healthcare. They care about none of that. They just sell and trade stocks. They just tell the executives, we, we want this return on investment, so therefore raise the price of insulin, a drug that is over 100 years old. They don't tell you. I mean, this is not, this is, and, and when Biden says this is, should not be a right or left issue, it should be a human issue, that is a statement of fact. Uh, this guy is double speak. I won't, that makes no sense. If only there was some way of having competition in medicine. Why do we need competition in a medical market? Scientists do not compete against each other. They are scientists. That is the, where the dichotomy comes in, right? You have scientists who live for research. I was an engineer. 
one of the things I did as an engineer, I would spend 16 hours trying to debug something, 16 hours trying to develop something. You cannot understand the, detach the detachment that scientists and engineers and these folks have from money. We want money to survive, but the detachment from the, 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 the cor corporatists, all they think about is making money. Inventors like to invent. Understand that they're not doing it because there's a dollar behind it. They're doing it because they want to invent. Peggy Lopez says, I have a blood clotting disorder and I'm on blood thinners. The cost to me have a simple procedure, go off the blood thinner and use a safer for the procedure medication at $1,000 for 10 shots. Shame. Eric, what is the uh, Let's see. Daniel, I have lost count how many dubious stories he has told in this speech. I think about four thus far. Uh, do you think those stories are dubious? Uh, is, is my wife's lupus story dubious? Come on, Lido. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Uh, Michael Rennie says, Mike CSAC, government out of the way of healthcare is one of the things of price gouging. Here's the funny thing about it. If, if, if I get, if my leg's broken, I don't have time to go shop around for who has the best price. The market does, the, the market does not work for healthcare. China said something, I mean, a, a representative, not a representative, an ex-Chinese operative gave a talk on, on 60 Minutes. I'm, I'll probably deep, uh, clean that up and do a little video on, on what he had to say. It should make Americans feel like crap. We all should feel like crap. Because while we are deteriorating in infrastructure and everything with this so-called democracy, their quasi quasi-autocracy or or, or, or or socialist whatever they are doing <laughs> it is it, it is amazing the difference and if Americans understood that or could see it instead of having this false fight that the plutocracy has you fighting each other about it would be amazing look I need to go ahead and play the other tape and then I'll continue with this at the end I may have to go about two or three minutes over today because you guys are just commenting out the gazoo so let's go ahead and listen to Antonio's uh, Chacha and then we'll take it on the other side. Welcome to Politics on Right. My name is Egberto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being with us today. We have a special guest. We know what's going on in the pharmaceutical industry. We know what's going on in the healthcare industry in this country. And that's why we bring you some of these very intriguing guests who know what's going on within the system. Antonio Chacha, president of Three Axis Advisors. He led government affairs for the Ohio Pharmacists Association, a trade organization with a strong track record of advocating for drug price and transparency. Antonio has since spent years studying the pharmacy uh, marketplace, publishing several analyses on the drug pricing code and pulling the rug out of what he believes is one of the most dysfunctional marketplaces in the world. He doesn't only believe that those listeners of politics know right, know that that is a statement of fact. El Senor Antonio Chacha, welcome to Politics Done Right. Hey, great to be with you today. Look, first of all, thank you for being here. We have a whole lot to talk about in a, in a fixed amount of time. So let's go ahead and get busy on this. You were part of a new report, the PBM Accountability Project, that shed quite a bit of light on issues related to the drug industry. Tell me, first of all, what's the genesis of that particular study? So as we know, in the prescription drug world, it, things are really expensive and they're very complex. And to boil it down, Drug makers are for-profit companies. They would love to charge as much as they could get away with. They sell drugs to drug wholesalers who would love to charge as much as the market could, would allow them to get away with. And they sell to pharmacies who ultimately have the interest in doing the exact same. The question then is, who's working on our behalf as consumers? 
And there are companies known as pharmacy benefit managers or PBMs that act as the middleman between the employer, the plan sponsor, or the health insurer, ultimately working on our behalf to negotiate discounts off of the uh, members of the drug supply chain. However, our research has shown, and not just our research, but more and more research uh, done by others, is showing that PBMs who were once hired to make things cheaper have actually over time started making more and more money to the point where they're actually larger than the drug makers and pharmacies themselves at this point. I want to stop you right there because I want to come with a very important question. Are PBMs private, private companies, for-profit companies, what are they? Yes, pharmacy benefit managers are for-profit. The largest ones are publicly traded and all reside on the Fortune 15 list. Stop, so please. we're talking about some of the largest companies in the world. Thank you. Now, whose idea was it to believe that having a private company in, as an intermediary between the pharmacist who tries to maximize profits and the drug uh, and the uh, the drug companies the drug companies who want to maximize profit and pharmacists who themselves are for profit that somehow that wasn't just going to be an additional cost whose great idea was that <laughs> I, I think it's an idea that evolved over time because let's be let's be fair PBMs were architected to truly do something that they needed to do which was make sure that they were finding balance between what an acceptable price on a pharmaceutical was. And then to also just facilitate something as simple as processing the claim itself. But over time, they realized that, hey, there's a lot of opportunity here to buy something at a, ve a very cheap price and sell it at a, very at a very high price without the end payer having enough sophistication to know that perhaps there's any grand amount of delta growing in the middle. And so really it's something that evolved rather than was somebody's harebrained idea in the first place. Uh, but I mean, um, you, you are, you've, been, uh, you've been in this economic system for a very long time, haven't you been? Absolutely. Born and raised in a pharmacy household. Uh, it's a mess. I, but again, my question to you is, uh, and, I, and I, I have to repeat it because I think the answer is so simple. Why would anybody have believed that somehow that concept would have been successful? I think it's a very fair question. I think it's an existential question for the PBM industry as a whole. There are some things that can be done to at least try and calibrate their for-profit nature, right? There are things like fiduciary obligations that a lot of companies have that have to that require them to act in the best interest of, of their clients or their patients in this in this regard. But none of those requirements exist, which means that PBMs today are free to do as they please. And as we've shown, they do do as they please at great expense to consumers, not all the time, but often. Let me ask you again, do we need them? I don't believe we need PBMs as standalone entities, but I do believe that we need the functionality that they provide. For example, many drugs are too expensive or don't have tremendous value. And so PBMs at an ideal level should act as somebody who's knowledgeable enough and educated enough on pharmaceuticals to say, A, whether or not a drug is worth covering for a health plan in the first place, and B, what a fair price for that pharmaceutical is when they purchase it, either from the drug maker or from the pharmacy. Those are good things to have as necessary friction in the marketplace if you are going to have a market-based system. And so then the question then is, is when do their incentives run awry to the point where they start compromising that necessary friction 
and instead pouring more gasoline on the fire that they were hired to control in the first place. Now, I, I am, you know, I, I may be lost completely because I am still, you know, I've asked you twice already, and I, I, I know you're asked, answering it properly within the context of what exists today. What I'm trying to gather in when, when we're talking about these particular issues and fixing these particular issues, whether we need to go to the core of these issues, do we need them? Uh, you, you gave, you gave a, an answer that I think is a very good answer. In other words, we have to determine if, um, you know, what's a good price point for a product. In healthcare, I don't know what the good <laughs> price point of a product is because, again, most of these darn products were developed by the taxpayers in the first place. Initially, the initial, the initial research, the initial thing that said, this may be viable. Wasn't it? Wasn't the drug company saying, um, "Let's do these experiments on faith"? It was universities and research labs by the NIH that are doing these things. You you gave a you gave a statement of what the market will bear. What does having what the market will bear have anything to do with what drug prices should be? I think it's a fair. I think it's a very fair question, right? Uh, at the end of the day, in the U.S. system, we're very unique in this regard. We want a system that incents drug makers through profits to bring new innovative products to market. Now, whether or not we get truly innovative products, we'll leave that off to the side. But that's the system that we have. That we want drug makers to have adequate profit incentive so that they invest in more research and development, sometimes with government help sometimes predominantly with government help, to keep the churn of new medicines coming so that either they'll stay ahead of disease or do a better job of treating disease. Now, whether we get fair bang for that buck is a totally another question, but that's the system that we have today. I want to ask you that question because you're the expert here. You're the one telling me what you have found. Mr. Chacha, is that, uh, have we been getting a good bang for the buck or not only that, are drug companies giving us the bang for the buck? Or are we just commodities used to make a profit for somebody? So unfortunately, the, and this is not to be cagey, right? But PBMs were brought in to find that necessary balance. And so we've entrusted them as a market force to find that intermediary space to say, look, you know, if drug maker A wants to charge $100 for something that really has a value of 50, the PBM's job was to come in and say, we're only going to pay 50 for that drug or we're not going to cover it. Instead, what the PBM has done is they said, look, we're happy to cover your drug as long as you, drug maker, give us a big rebate in exchange for covering it in the first place. So what you have is, look, we could argue whether or not a market-based system will ever give us what we deserve, all right, as consumers. But if we are going to have a market-based system, then you need that sort of accountability that a PBM or something else could provide. Unfortunately, that we don't have that today. They've been compromised. And so we're stuck with a system that is just in an autopilot off of a cliff. Why I wanted you on this show is because that report intrigued me. Okay, I didn't read the report, I'll be honest. I read the synopsis of the report, but it, it, it justifies or it qualifies everything that we talk about on Politics Done Right. But you're the one who did the research. You're the one who found the truth. You're the one who came out with the same conclusions that some, uh, 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 somebody like a, a political activist like myself would always have always known. Now, my question to you as a person who has done the research, uh, shouldn't we really do away with uh, the way our drugs are partitioned to the, within our system altogether and, and, and look at it at a more, uh, 
a less for profit based system and one that actually values humanity a bit more. So I think that there are, and I, I'm, I'm not an economist, I mm -hmm. study drug prices, I am a nerd. Uh, and I think that there are very, there are competing opinions on what a, let's say a government run drug distribution system would incent from an innovation perspective. Whether we like it or not, a tremendous amount of the research and innovation in the pharmaceutical world comes from American investment, okay? And so we do get a lot more new products, whether again, they have great value propositions. I, I, want, I want to stop you there because I, 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 I don't want us to tell my audience something that isn't, that is a pharmaceutical statement and not a statement in fact. And here's, here's my question to qualify what you're saying. And I'd like, like, like to hear your, your statement on this. And that is specifically, you said we privately invest a lot. Yeah, let's look at Claritin, Clarinex. Two drugs. Oh, absolutely. Okay, <laughs> Claritin, Clarinex. That was an, a large investment. Our, 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 our pharmaceutical companies spend a lot more on marketing than they do on research and development. And a lot of research and development come by way of NIH-type grants, whether, whether immediately obvious or somewhat, somewhat obvious when the pharmaceuticals investment is purchasing a professor at a university. That's it. My question again, should we give pharmaceuticals that statement of fact? I mean, I'm an engineer by training, all right? That's what I am by training, an engineer. I didn't need somebody to give me $100,000 to innovate. The people within the pharmaceutical companies, the engineers, the scientists, they're not the ones that partake of these great profits. So where do we come across saying that somehow innovation is relative to profits when the innovators themselves pretty much work at a fixed cost? I think that's a fair question. I, I have to concede I'm out of my lane because I'm not an economist. I don't understand what that lack of incentive would do to the drip of innovation. Incentive right? for whom? Incentive for whom? For the, for the uh, drug makers themselves. For because those they're not the ones in that invent, makers. right? The ones that invent are not the, the, the money guys. I don't know enough about the research side of things, right? Okay. So the actual researchers. Fair, fair enough. I don't know what drives, fair drives enough. anything. Fair enough. Great. But again, I, I think your research on that, the paper that you did was conclusive, important. And not only that, I think it, 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 it is something that we need to get out there. Tell us a little bit about your company, because I was intrigued by, the, by, by what, what, what you do. So I, I study drug prices every day. It's uh, <laughs> probably why I'm not good at studying markets. Uh, but we look at what's happening in the marketplace, how prices change day to day. What happens when a drug goes from brand to generic? What happens when more generic manufacturers enter? And what happens to price when competition hits that generic marketplace. So one of the things that the whole reason we got into this was in my home state of Ohio, we ran into a problem when I was working with the pharmacist association there, the pharmacists were complaining they weren't getting paid enough on prescriptions. Now, whether they were right or wrong, I went back to state officials and said, hey, you got these big cuts happening at the pharmacy level. PBMs are paying pharmacies less and less for the drugs. Did I miss something? Are you saving a bunch of money now? And they said, no, we're spending more on pharmaceuticals than we ever have. So to me, that disconnect didn't make any sense. How could you cut pharmacy providers 
and then not see the savings on the other end. Well, we ended up looking at CMS publicly available data to see what the state of Ohio with Medicaid was being charged on every single prescription drug on a quarter by quarter basis. And what we found was that over time, there was a growing gap between what pharmacies were paid and what the state was being charged. PBMs were taking advantage of the opportunity to slap hidden markups over top of those medications and not disclosing them back to state officials. When state officials finally opened the books, they found that $244 million in what we call spread pricing was being layered on the top. Now, again, without having a tremendous sophistication on drug pricing at the time, that was beyond me because everybody complains about drug prices, but how could the payers of healthcare, a state Medicaid program, not know about $244 million of just hidden markups, which taught me that we all complain about drug prices, but we have a very small understanding of how the sausage is made. And so we started doing what we do to expose what that sausage making process looks like. Mr. Chacha, let me just tell you, you are a very important, your, your research is a very important portion of this entire medical fraud that we have in this, uh, in this country. Now, I know you don't refer to it that way. You refer to it simply on mathematical and technical basis. basis and I think that is important to solve an interim problem. I think the problem is a lot deeper and hope that studies like what you have done and studies by others will prove the, in, in my humble opinion, the fraud that our, not, not only our pharmaceutical system, but our entire medical system is uh, compared to the rest of the world. It has nothing to do with innovation. Scientists like my, uh, scientists and engineers like myself, we don't require the kind of funding that, uh, or the kind of money and profit that's in the system. We never see it, in fact, we never do. Um, but I want to thank you for, first of all, for what you do. Secondly, for coming here on Politics Done Right to expose it. But I always have a last question for everybody, and it's a free-for-all, free to say whatever the hell you want to say. What would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? I thought you asked really good questions, to be honest with you. What I, what I would preach, though, is a greater sophistication on how drug, drug pricing works. To your point, whether you think that this system needs a complete overhaul or you think we need an entirely different you know, marketplace dynamic within healthcare, not just pharmaceuticals, to me, we deserve to know how our money is being spent on pharmaceuticals. You know, you walk into a CVS pharmacy and buy uh, an M&Ms, you're gonna get a receipt that's you know, uh, 10 feet long. Yet when you buy drugs from the PBM that owns CVS pharmacy, they won't tell you how, how they spent the money. And that's true across the drug channel. It's a lot of money that we spend on pharmaceuticals in the United States. We deserve an itemized receipt so we could better understand how to better calibrate that marketplace. Or in your instance, Maybe make a decision to do away with it altogether. Antonio Chacha, president of Three Axis Advisor. It really was my pleasure to speak to you. And I learned a lot from speaking to you based on your research. So thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right. Thank you. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed that. But that he had some very important information there. It doesn't change the reality that we need to get rid of the pharmaceutical industry altogether or, or nationalize, either nationalize the pharmaceutical industry or put severe regulations on them to prevent them from the thievery that occurs in there. $10 for insulin being charged $300. Remember the pieces that I've done on 
whatever the market will bear. That is inhumane, that is murderous, that kills Americans, that have people, it stresses, it kills them not only from not being able to get insulin, it kills them for the stress that they go through. And you know, unfortunately today, we didn't have our good friend, uh, our good friend, Bridge MCP to remind me to say, hey guys, please, please, please support politics done right. So what I'm going to do right now is, since I remembered at the end to come out with it, please folks, if you are on YouTube right now, I want to ask you so kindly to go ahead and support us by clicking on that join button. If you are on YouTube right now, click that join button, become a part of the fold, become a part of the PDR Posse. Alternatively, if you don't see that, please go to politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube, politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. We also need patrons. We have several ways that you can support us. Politicsdoneright.patron, go to politicsdoneright.com slash patron. And by the way, these links are being placed right now inside of the screen, politicsdoneright.com slash patron. And of course, the good old PayPal is still there for you to support us. So go to politicsdoneright.com slash PayPal politicsandright.com slash PayPal. Support us however you can. It's the end of the year. We are horrendous fundraisers here, but we try our best. Please support this program that is out there doing, informing and doing the things that are necessary for us to make the right choices. PBMs, very few people understand that. How the drug companies rip us off. Many people refuse to understand that because the drug companies go out and say, the reason Americans are paying so much for drugs is they're subsidizing the rest of the world to ensure that we can continue discovering drugs and finding drugs. You notice they only find drugs for things that are profitable. You notice they don't find drugs for these other things. Folks, let's get this right. Understand how the system works. It's, 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 these are thugs in ties. T-I-E, T-I-T, thugs in ties or thugs in suits, whichever one you want to call it. Because what they do is they rip Americans off. They take their wealth away. We inform you by giving the facts about it. Remember, most drugs are developed in universities or through NIH grants, National Institute of Health grants. Then it's taken over by these thugs who make a whole bunch of money off of it. The scientists are not the ones making the money. The engineers are not the ones making the money. The innovators are not the ones making the money. Let's remember that. We are being screwed. Don't forget that. There are many people who want to be willfully ignorant. It's okay. But for those of us who can be in the know, those of us who can go out there and and multiply ourselves, teach others what really happens so that we don't make those mistakes again. Tugs, ties, and suits. Tits is what <laughs> Michael Rodnan came out. Hey, thugs in ties and suits. I like that, Rodnan. Anyhow, continuing, you can also support us by getting our books. And I, I want to go over by a couple minutes because I want to tell you why. Why don't you get go to Amazon, politicsandright.com slash books. Get our books. Give it away to your right-wing friend. I have one specifically that I want to suggest. It's called It's Worth It because it's worth talking to everybody. It's worth engaging everybody. It's worth it. How to talk to your right-wing relative friends and neighbors. Please get that book. Get a bunch of them and give it to your right-wing friends and tell them I'll sign it and I'll talk to them individually. I'll, I'll have a... I will have a Zoom with all right-wingers so that they can come and have a conversation. So get the book. Give it to them. Give it away. And let's go ahead 
and do something positive. Grow our intellect, okay? So again, the other book is, as I see it, Class Warfare, the only resort to right-wing doom. One of the reasons the drug companies get away with what they do is the patent system is all screwed up. The patent system allows them to screw us based on how it works and how it shuts other people out. Please get my book, As I See It, Class Warfare, The Only Resort to Right-Wing Doom. I cover the patent, how the economy works, all that great stuff in that book. And last but not least, How to Make America Utopia. We always talk about problems, problems, problems. Well, in this book, we kind of talk about the problems and how we can solve these particular issues, how to make America Utopia. So go to politicsdoneright.com slash books. It's on Amazon. And by the way, we have it in Kindle, paperback, and audiobook. So you can get it anyway. Give it gift it to your friends all of that and you'll help the program you'll be helping us continue to do this and at the same time you'll be doing something to move the progressive message the truth that is out there so please go to politicsandright.com books for that and of course it's also christmas time it's also hanukkah time it's also all the different holidays that are celebrated at the end of it go to politicsandright.com store politicsandright.com store consider getting a hoodie a mask a t-shirt or whatever Give it to folks that have the logo politicsandright.com. Allow people to come and visit our show. A lot of things that you can do. Last but not least, my dear brothers and sisters, is politicsandright.com slash support. That is where you can find all the different ways you can support this program. Politicsandright.com slash support. Look, you've been here with me. I know you have many places where you could abide, where you could go and, 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 and be, but you're spending this time with me. I hope you got quite a bit out of the program. I hope you share the program. I hope you make things go. I am going to be getting out of here. I'm going to read the comments afterwards, okay? My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right, and you guys know how I end this baby. Gotta go. I am what? Out! We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.